Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by the Board of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also to business owners, startups and entrepreneurs. The Curious Capitalist is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the latest episode of The Curious Capitalist. And it really is my great pleasure. I always say that, but it actually is my great pleasure to introduce Glenn McDermott. Now, we've interviewed Glenn before, but you know, things change over time. Glenn is the Executive Director of Conscious Capitalism Connecticut, and he's also the founder and CEO of Red Rock Branding. Glenn, welcome to The Curious Capitalist. I so enjoy these conversations, Claire. And, you know, I might just take some time to remind the listeners that this is nearly our hundredth collective podcast, Care of Claire. So she has many fans out there of her own. So it's an honor to be here today and uh, talk purpose and whatever else comes up. Absolutely. Flattery like that will get you absolutely nowhere. No, (laughs) it's much appreciated. It's a real opportunity. And I've got to say, you know, with all of the podcasts that we do, it's fascinating getting to know people a little bit better and what makes them tick and certainly what gives them that purpose and that drive to want to do business for good. So it's great to have you along for the ride. Uh, You are the Conscious Capitalism man and uh, you are the executive director. What is is that in in its day-to-day? You know, what do you oversee? Why are you the executive director and what do you get up to in that role? It's uh, a role that kind of does most of the work for the chapter, you know, setting up programs, events, communications, the emails, managing uh, members, trying to cultivate sponsorship. And really this last year, we've tried to kind of organize it in a way that we have some sort of way of expressing the impact of the work that we have. The benefits of being there a couple of years is that you can accumulate all of these small multiple experiments of the work that you do and hopefully improve the impact of the work that you do over time. So it's been a good ride. Of course, Red Rock crew are all in doing the work. So as it's become part of our workflow, we've been able to benefit from, you know, all of the things that we learn from other clients. So it's been an accumulative experience. It is. And it's so multifaceted, that role in particular. I mean, the events you put on are fantastic. There's always something interesting going on. It's a really active chapter of conscious capitalism. You've got quite a a diverse board as well, I guess you'd say. You know, tell me a little bit about your team on the board at Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. That's one of my parts of the job that I probably got the most satisfaction from is trying to attract new board members and retain their interest when they come on the board. What a fascinating experience it's been because we've got people from all sorts of industry, all sorts of experience. I think there's now 14 and we have never set a limit. So it's not about reaching a quota of any sort, but the variety and the talent that we've had is on the board, particularly this year has been incredible. Not only that, they've been so talented, but some of them have also been in a transition between owning one business to another. So there are some that have been quite time affluent, as Gavin says, and they've been able to convert 
their skills and passion around conscious capitalism into producing this incredible leadership network that we launched in October last year, led by David Wrights. We built this cohort of nine months programming, one month at a time going through the different tenets of conscious capitalism and also the different sort of components of running a good business. We're halfway through it now. We've got nine signed up as in the first cohort. Interestingly enough, they're mostly women who are interested in making a better world. And uh, I'm saying nothing. I mean, I should just stay quiet at this point, yeah? But there is a Beyonce song called Girls Run the World or something along those lines. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> so that's been, I think, our biggest achievement as a chapter this year is uh, setting up the first cohort. And the traction that we have in that group is incredible. The energy in the room for that group is incredible. And I'm really excited to see what they can do once they can get some traction as to what they're learning as a group. And the interesting thing is that we invested a lot of time into the curriculum, into the syllabus, and the the fact that they're learning more from one another than the syllabus was a lovely surprise for me because out of that becomes this incredible bonding from the people on the cohort. And if if we've been, you know, responsible for bringing these people together that share so much passion and interest and best practice around building conscious businesses, then what a tremendous success that is. Absolutely. That alone would have been worth all of the hard effort of putting together the syllabus that was never needed. Incredible. So, Glenn, you did mention Gavin. Gavin Watson is, of course, the chair of the chapter at the moment, formerly of Watson, Inc. And uh, currently, Gavin Watson Associates, who is doing some consulting work. He's been the chair now for two years, is it? Coming up two years? Two years, and we are so incredibly lucky to have such a man. He's such a gentleman, full of wisdom, and with a raft of experience behind him in the food business. So he has brought all that into the chapter and at the same time has sponsored the chapter to the point where we can essentially do an ongoing series of small experiments to figure out what it is that our community needs and produce that accordingly. So he's given us the space to do that. It's a little bit unique to the other chapters too, that we have such a sponsor. And so, yeah, very fortunate to have him in the group. And he's a very modest man too, which is charming. Mm, Very much so. He's very modest. He plays down his incredible insight so much. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him and uh, you're absolutely right. Super modest, but wow, super clever. and, And he has such great vision. I do enjoy talking to him. So thinking more generally about conscious capitalism, you're obviously an Aussie. You're certainly not from these parts, nor am I. When did you first hear about conscious capitalism? And what was it that sparked your interest enough to want to get involved heavily on the board? And, you know, you've put years of effort into this. When did you first hear about CC and want to dive in and do some good? I was approached by a friend of mine who said, hey, you should think about joining us. And I read into it, looked into it, read some of the books and realised that it was definitely a really good alignment with my view of the world mm-hmm. and view of how business can or should uh, has a responsibility to make a better world. So I was on the board for about a year and then became the executive director. And, and that's when we really got more focused as a chapter around building the community and then we went into COVID of course so as is common with a lot of other 
organizations who rely on live gatherings to be their sort of marquee events of the year. Like everyone else, we had to pivot to go, to go virtual, but we were fortunate in that all the work that Red Rock does has been virtual. So that was a very easy transition for us. And we decided that we wanted to really ramp up the amount of content that we produce and collaborate with our neighbouring chapters because one of the unintended benefits of COVID is that the sort of boundaries, the state boundaries dissolved. So geography didn't matter anymore where you were. So we've taken sort of the spirit of that in doing work with brands that necessarily in Connecticut, but we're still being Connecticut focused. You know, that's so true. And it's something that comes up in a lot of the podcasts I've been doing, you know, is the COVID effect, you know, yeah, it's been horrendous. It's been absolutely awful for for many people, individuals and businesses. But interestingly, it's moved us on what feels like 20 years in terms of making the world smaller. You know, if we want to do a fantastic event for conscious capitalism and the guys in France, no problem. We can do that, you know, and that's been a real blessing. And and thankfully, obviously, you're obviously company being Red Rock Branding. You've got the skills and the infrastructure in place to be able to flick it literally overnight and to do the virtual set up comfortably when many businesses had to learn, you know, what's Zoom? How do I do this? What's Microsoft Teams? You know, do I need a webcam? You know, all of those, you never had any of those teething troubles simply because it was your area of expertise in the first place. So very fortunate position to be in, I would say. It also kind of opened some other doors. And this is where I'm thankful that we had the opportunity to do that. And that, you know, through COVID, there were so many of our community brothers and sisters that really felt the heavy impact of and you know unlike the fortuitous uh, arrangement that you and I have at the moment where we can Mm. continue to so-called work digitally a lot of people that were less fortunate couldn't so Mm. it really impacted a lot of marginalized communities very badly and so as a conscious capitalist community as business leaders we've had to really become more mindful of you know the fact that a community can't really function if 40% of the population are one paycheck away from personal bankruptcy, you know, if they get sick or there were all these sort of fractures in this culture that we live in that have become more amplified through COVID. And that really, I think, made the whole board realise that we need to do more and be more uh, mindful and to service the community overall. So we've been leaning into issues around racial equity and social equity and income wealth distribution. And of course, the big gorilla in the room is climate change at the moment, because when we talk about stakeholders at Conscious Capitalism, we talk about, you know, the vendors, the employees and the community that you live in. And of course, the biggest stakeholder is the planet we live in, because that provides all of the resources ultimately that we um, <laughs> work with so it's been um i think a a reminder of the urgency that we tackle these issues and that has charged the board with a sense of purpose that i think was there before but it's now become more pointed yeah no absolutely for sure and i think that's thankfully is something that's starting to happen across the world you know and that will be the next generation of people you know my generation was expected to fix the climate problem i remember it very distinctly in my geography classes back home in the uk you know the teacher saying you guys have got to fix what we couldn't and what our grandfathers did we've not fixed it so you've got to fix it and here i am now with a son i'm like kid you're going to be a part of fixing this you know and it's like we keep passing the buck and it just feels now that 
people are starting to take a little bit of personal responsibility and going, actually, this is quite serious now. You know, it, people who were you know oblivious to it perhaps before, it's now in their eyeline. And um, that gives me a little bit of hope that my son won't have to do quite so much. But uh, we live in hope. We live in hope. So talking about higher purposes, you know, which is a big part of conscious capitalism. Let's talk about Red Rock branding, because you've been running the business for some time. Uh, for quite a while now, and you have a really sort of defined higher purpose. Yeah, I wondered if you can tell me a little bit about that. It's a good conversation because, or it's a good topic because obviously as a branding company, we help others create purpose. So the irony is that it took a little longer for Red Rock to define their own, which is a bit of a joke, but (laughs) we, we have arrived and, you know, now we are known primarily for the work that we've been doing in public health communities in building healthy people and planet, as we say. And we've got 10 years of experience with public health initiatives in universities like Yale and Columbia and Tulane, and as well as helping others build their businesses around health and wellness products. So we've really enjoyed the ride, so to speak, into those different industries and helping companies to find their sense of purpose really helps them clarify what problems they solve and who they do it for. And in this current climate, it really helps also attract the right employees, retain the right employees, attract the right customers, and so on and so on. So so once you've done a great job of defining your purpose, it really has a multiplying saving effect. And ironically, once you do a great job of the purpose part, it sometimes can lead to a, you know, a reduced marketing spend because people, once they see you and know you, identify you, that you stand for a social issue or whatever it might be, then it becomes easier to attract customers too. Yeah. So yeah. the cost of customer acquisition actually goes down. Yeah. Now, I shouldn't be saying that as a marketing guy, but uh, <laughs> it's <in fact> true. <laughs> it is. It's so true. So thinking about culture and leadership, obviously, you know, it must be difficult. You've got you got two hats on here in this interview to a degree. You know, you are the executive director of Conscious Capitalism Connecticut. Uh, you're also the CEO and founder of Red Rock Branding. Thinking about the culture and leadership within your own business, what language would you use to describe Red Rock? You know, you've got a team of people. What language would you use to describe them? Does it have a definable character above and beyond your mission statement? The mission statement was crafted within a collaborative process of the team members. So everyone was part of that. I mean, I was leading the the conversation around health and wellness because that's what I want my legacy to be about. (laughs) But the way of getting there was definitely a team thing. And the language, I think, just rises from once people feel like they're in the right room, number one. And number two, when you share a passion like that, then the team just becomes invigorated because they want to contribute to that higher purpose. So we're all about just people being themselves. I, I try and create enough sort of structure so people on the team can feel whatever work they want to do you know when we take on new clients i say is this the work we want to do so that's a, a collaborative process too because mm. i want i want to buy in from everybody i don't want it to be just my idea because that often ends badly it probably involves buying like more bicycles and uh, anyway <laughs> 
Oh, goodness me. No, it's absolutely true, though, isn't it? Like if you're using intentional language with your team and, you know, I know a little bit about your team, of course, and it is a very inclusive environment. And it kind of when you were just speaking, it reminded me of the old fashioned phrase like attracts like this is what I stand for. This is what I believe in. And this is what I want to do. And the right people have kind of been attracted to that and have stuck around. And it's a great team. It's a really great team. So using either hat, either your conscious capitalism hat or your red rock hat, if a company wanted to make a shift towards being more conscious, doing business for more good, what would your initial advice be? Well, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it was acceptable for a company to dump toxic chemicals into a river if it made more money for the shareholders. Fortunately, we've moved on from that arrangement. And so, you know, businesses are essentially organizations of people. And, you know, so we often hear about businesses that you can't do this, you can't do that. You, in fact, can achieve a lot more change than you think you can if you understand that it's a, an operating system that it's been designed by humans. It's operated by humans and managed by humans. Therefore, you can arrange it in any way to suit your purposes. And at Red Rock, we try and cultivate brands to think along those lines just to maximise their impact of the work they do. And ultimately, it defines also the work we do. So there's an interesting dichotomy there too. And of course, a similar thing can be said for conscious capitalists because everyone has been operating as human beings and we now have to sort of roll back the idea of just being a, a capitalist to make money and become just more human in, in, in what it, whatever it is we do. Who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> you know, interesting thing is with board members and, and, and those that are in the first cohort, they once they hear about the framework that we organise things with, they go, well, yeah, of course. And they realise that they've been operating that way for sometimes in many years. Absolutely. Um, but but the, joy, the joy comes in when they realise that now they're in a room full of people like that. And yeah. the, the sort of collaborative horsepower that comes from that is really exciting. It is. It's powerful. I've, I've had the, the privilege of, of meeting a few of the guys, of course. And you're right. One of the overriding things that has come out in the podcast that I've been doing now for some time has been a lot of these businesses, particularly the small to medium sized businesses, have been doing this forever, just didn't have a name for it. They stumbled across conscious capitalism. You know, it's always, oh, yeah, Jim invited me to this or whatever. It's always kind of that word of mouth thing. They get there and they're like, ah. Oh like-minded people we do business like this and we do it for the same reasons and i find it's got a real feel-good feeling about it and for me as a podcaster i love hearing the success stories i love hearing about businesses who have had this idea or that idea and this is what they're championing and this is how they're making a difference in the world i get a real kick out of that and you know i think the more it grows and the more awareness there is the better the world will be you know we've got to try and save the world remember no big deal. We can do that before tea time if we get a wiggle on. <laughs> so come on then, you've got many, many hats. What do you do when you're not focused on your work? What does Glenn McDermott do to relax? Come on. Do you relax? You're an Aussie. Come on, you're permanently relaxed. I know. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> as we record this for the record, it's the middle of January and it's minus... 14 celsius outside ridiculous and, and this little aussie is struggling a little bit with some sort of seasonal disorder number one because i usually spend this time of year in my homeland country which is at the moment at the beach so i do realize 
and you know in all transparency i think i i do suffer from seasonal disorder of some sort i definitely struggle a little bit here in the winter um, particularly when we can't even get out and ski and do some fun stuff but basically i'm an outdoor kind of person so outdoor activities are pretty limited in new england at this time of year short answer i guess would be i like being on the water in the water or under the water and uh on two wheels wherever that takes me so they're the kind of things and one of the things and this could be included or not is that having recently become a uh, a grandfather i've realized that you know one of the essential joys of life is to raise children i don't have any direct responsibility in this matter but <laughs> I, I am i'm profoundly enjoying the role and the sort of infrequent contact i have with otis and he's a constant source of joy in this house so that has been a reminder to me of you know the climate change and the fact that the the way we have conducted ourselves in the last 50 years particularly is going to be a problem that otis has to fix and i'm not very comfortable leaving that with him mm. um, so my recently inherited role of being a grandparent <laughs> has just been a an acute reminder how big the challenges that lay ahead and we do have the tools to fix them so it's not like we don't know how but the clock is ticking, isn't it? The clock is definitely ticking. And you know what they do say? They say that actually being a grandparent is the best because you get to hand them back whenever you want. So uh, it sounds like you've got the best deal there. You can have all the fun bits and then hand them back. And uh, it's quite interesting, you know, you want to be on the water, in the water or under the water. As you're in New England, I think your best bet is to invest in a large bathtub. That's the only water you're going to be enjoying at the moment. It's freezing as we're staring down the barrel of another nor'easter. Oh, I love it. Love it. <laughs> I know. Leave England, they said, you know. Somewhere drier, they said. Yeah, come to New England. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the irony. But no, I do feel for you in your Aussie roots. Uh, I was watching a little bit of the tennis earlier this week and they've had a heat advisory in Melbourne for the Aussie Open. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, some silly temperatures and I was a little bit jealous, I have to be honest. If you, Mr McDermott, could have dinner with any figure in history, who would you choose and what questions might you ask them? I've got this really weird fascination. Uh, it's sort Uh-oh. of... Hang on, listen, this has to... to be good for kids. We have, <laughs> we have to tick a box on the podcast platform to say, is this suitable for children? So think before you speak. <laughs> it is related to my interest of water sports because it's about Antarctica. My sister, when she was a doctor, was posted there for a year, which in Australia is, is only a, like a three-week sail from Australia to get there. So I just became very interested in the frosty south and there's one gentleman who got to know it particularly well his name is Sir Ernest Shackleton one of your fellows he led a few expeditions but one of his most profound was to the South Pole which so often almost ended up in disaster and he guided his men all safely after a two-year survival through the southern oceans and across the southern Antarctic and he did it with a great sense of humour and purpose. And this is where it, I first picked up on the sense of purpose because he, as a captain of this expedition, was responsible for his men and all his dogs and all of the work that comes with it. He did so under the most extraordinary circumstances. And so, yeah, he's become, I guess, one of my sort of folklore heroes of leading a team under the most extraordinary circumstances. And I. I do, for whatever reason, see myself as some sort of explorer and maybe this bit can be nixed out. 
<laughs> you are quite an explorer. I mean, look, Australia, you, you've lived and worked in many, many places around the world. I know that. You're, you're very humble. The intrepid explorer of Connecticut. <laughs> well, actually, McDermott. It, it, it's sort of related because my fellow board member, David, and I, we've cycled a lot this year. And he said to me one day, he said, you know, one of the interesting things about riding with you is that you don't mind going off the off the track and doing things that weren't on the agenda and because sometimes that leads to an interesting discovery and and he was right about that and right in life in general I guess is that you know immigrating from Australia I worked in Southeast Asian market for a couple of years and then I thought I know I'll go to the US I liked working in the US and arrived here two years later and of course 22 years later there's nothing more permanent than a temporary situation right I realized that it's become quite a long episode in the US, but I guess in the spirit of adventure or through the lens of adventure, certain doors open. And I've been really fortunate to have had many doors open and here we are. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you know what the thing is, I was just thinking about doors. I think other than being a great band, I was just thinking like everybody is blessed with doors. I believe this, you know, I believe a little bit in fate and without getting too hippy dippy, it's whether or not you've got the gumption and the bravery to walk through them. So I believe that everyone is, is blessed with opportunities. I've certainly had opportunities that some I have taken, others I haven't taken. And it kind of all roads lead to Rome sort of a thing. And, um, and here we are, here we are in a, in a foreign land doing business for good, trying to save the world. You want to be Ernest Shackleton. I mean, the world's a better place, surely. But I've always been fascinated with other cultures. You know, I, I remember in school, this young Italian kid sat next to me and I could, you know, <laughs> smell these salami sandwiches. And <laughs> soon after that, I was trading him my... Vegemite. His. <laughs> Vegemite for salami. I'll tell you what, he got the, he got the rough end of the deal there, man. This sort of cultural curiosity has stayed with me for many years. And of course, some of my friends in Australia, it's sort of a, a graduation of sorts to, to go and do a European tour or something yeah. after you graduate from school. Yeah. Um, and of course, I did that, but on two wheels, not backpacking, which is how most of my friends traveled. Uh -huh. And I discovered that cycling around the world was, in fact, not only a lot of fun, but you were exposed to so many different cultures and I had so many wonderful experiences with, you know, Syrian cowboys on the Turkish border or, you know, Burmese gorillas uh, or all sorts of cultures doing all sorts of things. And when you're on a bike, you're pretty vulnerable. You have no protection. So you're definitely going to be immersed into these cultures, whether you like it or not. And that's been a tremendously fulfilling experience. I have deep reservoir of great memories with people that I would not have otherwise met if I was traveling in other vehicles. So yeah, that sure. really kind of set me up in a way or a life of adventure, at least in a cultural sense. And I've been really lucky to have done that because it's given me empathy, a sense of understanding and curiosity about the world and different cultures. And I'm just glad I have it. It's a very fortunate position to be in, to see a little bit of the world. It used to make me laugh that, you know, people who didn't want to travel, didn't need to travel, you know, where I come from, you know, you were kind of expected to graduate college, get married, have babies, work locally, buy a house, die in that house. 
And I knew from a very, very early age that was not going to be enough, you know, whether it was greed or otherwise. But I was very fortunate to meet a number of people who showed me that there's a big wide world out there. And this particular adventurer wanted to to see it all and do it all. You know, we're here for a, a good time and not a long time. I wanted to see everything. And um, that life was not for me. But, you know, bizarrely, we were talking about this just a, a while ago, is that my family, my sister did exactly that and you know what she's super happy with her life choices so it's uh horses for courses as they say horses for courses so come on then let's talk about your greatest success and your greatest fear last couple of questions before i put you out your misery after i left school i was just between jobs for a while and i started work as a landscaper in canberra we had a contract to plant seventy thousand trees and uh, <laughs> how many of was, you how many of you <laughs> i had some help they were very small sort of tube sock eucalyptus trees and and years and years later when i go back now these trees are 100 feet high oh. and they're, they're basically the canopy over the whole city which is where i grew up in canberra that has been the greatest sort of job satisfaction now to look at how we contributed to sort of greening of my hometown canberra Oh, I love it. Love that. That's fantastic. That's so cool. We need to plant some trees. We need to do a tree per client somewhere. I like that. There was an old tradition on one of the Canary Islands. I forget which one. I think it was Lanzarote. Forgive me if I've got it wrong and you're you're from the Canary Islands. But what they had is every time a baby boy was born, the father had to go to the valley and plant two palm trees. And every time a little girl was born, they go and plant one. Well, obviously, I don't agree with those equations, but hey, you get the idea. What's happened is the whole valley is covered in the most beautiful palm trees. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. idyllic. And it's a a nice lasting memory. Nice lasting memory. It reminded me of your eucalyptus trees. And your biggest fear then, sir? Biggest fear? Well, you know, I'm a scuba diver, but I'm also really afraid of it. It's hard to reconcile sometimes, but when I'm cave diving and I've done a little bit of it in, in Mexico, that really freaked me out. I mean, I did it. I loved it. I came out. I was totally joyful. But now when I sort of replay that memory, I'm thinking of some of the things that could have gone wrong when you're cave diving. Because when you're scuba diving, there is for some a sense of claustrophobia. And when, when you are, because there's water all around you and there's just this small pocket of air in front of you. But when you're in a cave and there's no way out, that sense of sort of claustrophobia is amplified somewhat. So I I do enjoy it, but I also have this tremendous sort of fear of it as well. Yeah, I can understand that. (laughs) Yeah, I I think yours probably is healthy. I mean, I've done a bit of caving back in Wales, but the claustrophobia is not to be messed with. (laughs) I don't know if I could do it without air as well. It just Mm. feels like a double whammy. Uh, Glenn, it's been such a privilege talking to you today. It's great to get an insight into your thoughts on not just your work with conscious capitalism, but also how you choose to run your own business, you know, with purpose as well. How can people find out more about conscious capitalism and how can people find out more about Red Rock Branding? Websites, hit me up. You'll probably see these notes, the links, redrockbranding.com or Conscious Capitalism Connecticut. I think it's a rather long URL. but It's a very long URL. (laughs) Consciouscapitalism.connecticut.com. Yes, thank you. All the dots. Pleasure. 
Pleasure. Really good fun having with you, Claire. We should do this on a weekly basis, but I know you have so many others to choose from. Well, do you know what? I think we should certainly do a regular one, that's for sure. I'm not sure how many listeners we get, but hey, we'll have some fun talking about Shackleton and cave diving and goodness knows what else. But it's been a real privilege and uh, thank you for sharing your insight into some of the, uh, you know, the world-changing and life-changing work that you're involved with. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Curious Capitalist. If you would like to find out more about conscious capitalism, or if you would like to join the local chapter, visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. The Curious Capitalist is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, subscribe to and share this podcast today. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com.